you will see many Black Friday adverts and most people probably won't remember the brand. They'll remember it was a Black Friday advert. And so like most of your adverts are probably just advertising the event itself and driving traffic towards that event. The brands that do this really well are the ones that use the kind of popularity of the event to their advantage to get and then get outsized share of that traffic. Hello and welcome to Performance Marketing Unlocked. In this week's episode, we will be speaking to Herdify's Ed Barter, their lead data scientist on how to connect online and offline communities. But before we get there, we welcome PMW's news reporter, Joe Arthur, to the studio. Welcome, Joe. Thanks for having me, Lucy. Good to be back. Pleasure to have you. It's been so long. (laughs) But today we are talking about a couple of big stories you've been working on, which are all connected by Amazon's new partnership with Meta. So tell us, what's this all about? Yeah, so uh, Amazon has expanded into the social commerce space. It's done this in a couple of ways, most significantly with Meta. They've partnered and uh, basically what the partnership collaboration means is that Meta users across Instagram and Facebook, when they see an ad for an Amazon uh, product pop up on their platforms, they can basically go right ahead and purchase that product uh, via Amazon without ever having to leave their app. This, this closed-loop commerce. Closed-loop commerce. Joe and I were yawning earlier about all the bloody net. <laughs> well, that's what, it, that's what it's billed as. We'll, mm-hmm. We actually have to see how it functions. But, but yeah, it's a close, supposedly a closed-loop commerce solution. And, uh, yeah, it's Amazon's partnership with Meta. And they've also actually partnered with Snap as well. So Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat users will all be able to a live shopping solution, purchase uh, a product from an ad that they see pop up on their social media directly via Amazon without having to leave the social media platform. This is a big news. This is exciting news for brands. But I mean, when I first heard the news, I think it's quite clear that Amazon is definitely feeling some competition from TikTok who are trying to, you know, introduce TikTok shop into the US uh, and, you know, Amazon doesn't have a social platform, so why not just p- partner with them all and try and make that work? Yeah, yeah. So it's definitely a manoeuvre from Amazon in response to TikTok's competition. So as you said, um, TikTok shop just opened in the US um, and we've spoken a little bit, uh, a lot. We've covered on PFW extensively TikTok's expansion into search, into uh, e-commerce and TikTok shop is its own live shopping solution. So Amazon has responded by getting, you know, a lot of the bigger social media platforms uh, on board. And uh, again, it's important to note that this, these collaborations with Snap and Meta are only going to be introduced into the US for the, t- for the time being at the very least. And so you, you reported on the news when it came out, but you've also spoken to a panel of experts who have weighed in about what this really means for the industry. What are the, what are the benefits? What are the what are the threats that it might pose? So yeah. give us a flavour. A of some litany of, of industry insiders have mm. provided um, some commentary on it because it is big news um, for brands. Um, essentially, it, it's it looks like a, a slam dunk for the platforms themselves. Amazon expands its reach a lot. Um, and for Facebook, uh, Instagram, Snapchat, uh, it should prompt more transactions from consumers, basically just because they're, they're streamlining the purchase process. So that becomes easier. People are more inclined to purchase. 
um, Amazon widens its reach without people actually having to go onto its platform. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, makes sense for for everyone involved. Um, Obviously, it stands to be quite a big win for the consumer so long as they're happy to uh, sort of give their data to these big tech giants, which which a lot of people are. And and we can get into the nitty gritty of things like the US versus Europe if we have time. But um, for brands, the opportunity is basically if you have your products up there on an Amazon ad, well, they're going to reach more consumers, which is always exciting. So you're expanding your reach. Um, as we said, it's a better access to data because you've got these big tech giants collaborating. So it's two walled gardens coming together, which in theory means it's going to be a bigger pool of data that they're operating from. We don't know if that's going to be shared with I was going to say that's one of the things that are yet to be confirmed, isn't it? It's the data sharing that I think is most appealing for brands, but that's yet... The scope of how much data is going to be shared, we don't know. But in theory, you'd think at the very least there will be some sort of expansion just because of the nature of it. Um, but yeah, so that that's exciting for brands um, and the data should allow for better optimization, better targeting and transactions should go up because in theory, well, not in theory, in practice, it's um, streamlining the purchase process for consumers. So brands can get in on this and sort of capitalize on increased transactions, boosting sales for whatever products they've got up on Amazon. All good for brands? Sounds like it, but as always... <laughs> It's not always 100%. We've mentioned the fact that, you know, the walled gardens and and the the tech giants haven't specified how much, if any, information and data they will be sharing with suppliers. Um, That's something to consider. And the other one is, I mean, we have some comments from people. Ed Adieri, VP of Paid Social at Jellyfish, he said some of the details are still sketchy, um, which is a good way to phrase it. Uh, But basically, there's a lot of power in the hands of these these platforms um, and the brands and advertisers, they sort of just have to run with whatever it is that they, the information that they present them. So they haven't specified at the moment. Um, it's still sort of being a trial phase. It's incoming for the US. So there's a lot of nervous energy, I suppose. And, and I think brands are sort of urged to be cautious and proceed with trepidation because we all know if you put all your eggs in one basket and rely too much on one channel you might end up paying for it down the line you've got to diversify and I, I mean I personally think and I mean tell me if I'm wrong if kind of brands also share this opinion that having these huge platforms all clubbed together kind of giving all them they then hold a greater part of the power for the rest of the industry which to me as a consumer I find slightly terrifying because I know um uh, well, Amazon, there has been rumours of Amazon trying to actually acquire Pinterest since 2014. And earlier this year, they trialled something similar where um, you could have shoppable pins on Pinterest uh, through an Amazon partnership. And so, yeah, Amazon's clearly kind of knows its own success. It had a great last quarter, um, but it is also feeling the burn from some competition. Yeah, I think the interesting, you sort of, TikTok and, and, and ByteDance, and um, we mentioned before recording um, Sheen as well, have, have sort of entered into this social commerce space. And I think it's healthy to have that competition there because you bring too many people together, these big giants, and you risk monopolizing the social commerce market. Um, Covatic's chief marketing officer, Sarah Whitfield, actually spoke to um, the Pinterest 
deal, which came through earlier this year, and it's Pinterest has been something that Amazon's had a vested interest in for quite some time. Um, and she said, yeah, these two walled gardens coming together might feel new and exciting, but this is not Amazon's first attempt at a closed loop shopping experience, having teamed up similarly with Pinterest earlier this year. Um, Meta's also tried expanding into live shopping before. They tried that with Instagram and Facebook, but abandoned it to focus on serving ads. Meta's also doing really well at the moment with their, their this quarter and this year so far has been good to them. So they've sort of re-upped their investment in, in, in live commerce. But I think what Sarah's trying to say is it's not something we haven't seen before and it's not something, a closed loop shopping experience that's strictly worked in the past wasn't hugely successful on Pinterest. And a lot of that comes down to consumers and how willing they are to share their data. So it hasn't always worked in the past. Do you think from what you've heard that there's, you have faith that this is going to work this time around? Because I mean, I see it as, you know, it's been 10 years Amazon's kind of, well, from, from rumours, have been kind of considering something like this, but now they've got real pressure in the form of TikTok, ByteDance, success of WeChat. I mean, we know Elon Musk is trying to create the same thing with X, creating everything app. So the urgency has got a lot tougher. My take on this is I think this time around, it's, it's going to be a winner. I think um, they've got the big brands involved some bigger social platforms. So I think it makes sense. I think it's going to work. And um, some brands, you know, not everyone's being super cautious. Some people are really excited about him, the opportunity it presents for advertisers. Danny Molyneux, the general manager at Claxon, he thinks this signifies a major advancement for advertisers because of reasons like targeting and optimization and leveraging the information that Amazon have to show personalized ads to consumers. So it's really exciting. For, it'll be really alluring for brands. Mm. I mean, I guess the next issue is going to be what happens because at the same time, another big discussion we're having at the moment is uh, social platforms considering subscription fees for ad-free experiences. So what's going to happen then? It's really interesting. I mean, the social space at the moment, we know Meta is largely in favor of an ad-funded experience. They've gone on and said that. And a lot of the the paid subscription tiers come down to pressure put on by privacy regulations. So obviously the US data privacy regulations aren't as stringent. So things like these sort of social commerce closed loop solutions can work, whereas none of them are available in Europe at the moment, you'll note, and that's because of GDPR, privacy regulations are a lot stricter here, but it's two sides of the same coin. And it's just interesting to see social platforms like Meta. In Europe, they've invested in one, and in the US, they're investing in another. I think the important thing to remember, no matter what side of the coin you're on, brands need to make a decision about how they're going to respond. And there's a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of threats. We've discussed some of them. But um, Debbie Allison, the global chief digital officer at VMLY and R Commerce, essentially put out um, a bit of a, a memo for brands to, to follow. And, and she said, to be successful, brands need to realize that hyping up brand experiences and creating brand love and then delivering shopping experiences full of friction for instance, out of stock, multiple platform logins or relevant products will affect brand equity. So essentially what she's saying and imploring brands to do is to see partnerships like this as an opportunity to find new customers that are unserved by other retail channels. You're not reaching them otherwise, but invite them to fall in love and deliver brand buy with a single click. So essentially, yep, great opportunities for brands to jump in and get involved, but 
what it comes down to as well is good advertising is what's going to generate leads, clicks, and sales. You you got to focus on building brand equity and investing in good advertising because there's a whole litany of data about why bad ads don't work. <laughs> and you can find all that out. Find um... <laughs> all that on BMW News, News in Numbers. It's all there, covering it extensively. But yeah, exciting opportunities. But I think Debbie Allison's summed it up quite well there is you don't want to get too carried away. You still got to focus on building advertising that's going to appeal to your customer base. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for sharing the news of the week, Joe. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. And next, we will be hearing the interview with Ed Barter on connecting online and offline communities and the data and behavioural science behind it. Take a listen. Having studied at Oxford and gaining a PhD at Bristol, Ed is an expert at getting the most out of data and asking the right questions. So it's time to turn the questions on him and welcome him to the studio. Hello, Ed. How are you doing? Hi, Lucy. Thank you very much. I'm good, thank you. Yeah, you've given me quite a, quite the build-up there, so yeah. hopefully I can live <laughs> up to it. <laughs> well, we actually thought we'd return the favour and invite you over here for dinner because you came to our Unlocked event in March and actually produced a whole podcast episode on the event, which was brilliant. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> Um, you attending this year? Oh, I say, should say next year, shouldn't I? For... I, haven't, I haven't got the dates in the diary yet, but I'm sure it was a fantastic event last year. And as you say, there was so much, so much to take from it that we managed to produce the podcast. So mm. I'm sure we'll be back next year as well. Yeah, well, I hope so. And then we've got the PMW Awards tonight as well, which you yes, guys are attending. Yeah, we're going along. So yeah, we've got a, a nomination for uh, a collaboration we've done with Abel and Cole. So mm. fingers crossed for tonight. Well, I don't know luck. if you can still put a good word for us in with the judges. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately not. And I've not even been told anything so far. So <laughs> It'll I can't be a surprise be... for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm the world's biggest mouth, so it kind of <laughs> makes sense. Um, but yeah, so good luck for tonight. And we will be hearing a bit more about your Abel and Cole partnership later, I believe. Data and behavioural science is a very big component of what happens at Herdify, but it's actually not something that I speak to with a lot of my guests um, or see at events a lot either. But, I mean, it seems quite obviously a big part of marketing yeah. and performance marketing. So could you tell us what the role is of data and behavioural science in marketing? So I think, I mean, all marketers really do behavioural science, right, and use it. And most marketing tips and like a lot of tactics that people use and strategies that people are using in marketing really are kind of based on behavioral science now whether that's been like academically produced behavioral science where people have done studies for example into like product adoption or something like that and then marketers use that information use those techniques those experiments effectively to drive their their kind of their campaigns or what's probably more common and the way that mo most marketers come across this is that marketers themselves have been doing experiments for years and years and years and years, right? Marketing is kind of one big experiment all the time. And the results of those get written up as kind of advice journals <laughs> in marketing. <laughs> and then that's where marketers, you know, future marketers go and get their advice from. So I think all of that really comes into behavioral science in the sense that you know, what is behavioral science? It's, it's about how, how do humans and kind of behave given the things they're exposed to, the stimuli they're given. And in marketing, those stimuli we're talking about are adverts, most kind of formally, but also like PR, 
brand awareness, you know, those other brand signals. And the thing we talk about a lot at Herdify and the thing we really focus on is the influence from the other people around us, right? So the conversations that we're having with our friends, you know, there's this saying attributed to Jeff Bezos, right? Your brand is what other people say about you when you're not in the room. And so we really focus on, okay, how as a marketer, do you interact with what people are saying about you when, when you're not there? And then import, more importantly, how do your customers or potential customers, how do they behave given what they're hearing about you? And I think it's the, then connecting that to online as well, which is the difficult jump that hopefully we might <laughs> unlock in the podcast. Yes, yes. So it's, 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 it's really difficult kind of, I think like mental s- separation, but really that's because there's not a separation, right? We, we live a lot of our lives online now, probably actually less than most people would guess right so still about 60 to 70 percent of conversations in total happen offline um and therefore really online is more like a medium where the human behavior and the influence that we we talk about happens as well as happening offline and in the ways that kind of more traditionally people would think about word of mouth and recommendations and referrals and all that sort of stuff well, let's get straight into it. And we are midway through the golden quarter, the busiest <laughs> time in everyone's calendar, it seems. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of campaigns. We just had the uh, John Lewis ad actually released yeah, this morning. Really, yes. Have you seen it? I've not managed to see it on the train up, no. Oh. <laughs> I've got that one to save for later. Yeah. So. <laughs> save for the journey home. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, what is getting your attention in marketing at the moment? So, I mean, right now I feel like talking to marketers... And then also kind of reading what's going on. Like, people are just quite worried, to be honest. <laughs> it's not actually, you know, it's going to be a happy time of year. It's not for a lot of marketers, I think. I think people are really worried about, in particular, like Amazon, Etsy, like the big the big players taking a lot of market share at the moment. And then the thing that is going along with that is customers are really looking at discounting and kind of how can we how and thinking about how they can be quite aggressive with their discounts so there were some stats out from i think it was in marketing week last week that like more than half the majority of retailers are looking to discount more than last year this year and that kind of goes along with the cost of living crisis and the fact that people have less money to spend consumer spending is i mean it's like it's up on last year but it's not growing as fast as it usually does and what these combine to do is mean that people are discounting more aggressively and also like stretching out that kind of discount period, right? In particular, if we're going to, you know, Black Friday really is being stretched out across November. People are trying to get those discounts it's in. It's not just a Friday uh, anymore, is it? <laughs> no, no. I was introduced recently to the idea of fake Fridays. Have you heard about no, that? I've never heard of fake Friday. So fake Friday was originally the Friday before Black Friday. Oh, okay. And now it, now, when people were noticing that you see like a big spike in shopping the Friday before Black Friday, and now it actually stretches to every Friday in November, a lot of um, the companies that are running like month long campaigns mm-hmm. see big spikes in traffic and in sales on the Fridays oh. beforehand. And like, no one's really sure if this is people just not knowing whether it's Black Friday or not. Or like being driven that way and like seeing Friday and start, you know, just kind of 
thinking it might be today and then ending up on site and buying anyway. But like these things are definitely becoming, it's definitely becoming more of like a stretched out kind of time period rather than, you know, that big day and then Cyber Monday after. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, when people ask, when's Black Friday? The answer is just November. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) doesn't seem to make any sense, but... And now you've got also like Amazon, because they had their Prime, it's not, they don't call it Prime Day, do they? It's like the best prime deals day or something deal yes (laughs) something like that i don't know (laughs) but that's like what back in october so it's almost like from then on everyone's competing right Mm, yeah i mean it is that competition and yeah i mean the ipa reported that discounting's massively up but i think marketers then have to be concerned about the kind of long-term effect of you know being loyal to brands um as well as just the discounting yeah which doesn't always measure up but Let's talk about some of the kind of, you know, overrated, underrated marketing tactics that we're seeing, particularly at this time of year. So what would you say are some of the most overrated ones that are kind of overused and not really worth talking about? So, I mean, I do think that discounting does fall into that category, not all discounting, but like, you know, like what you might call like panic discounting, (laughs) you know, like for a lot of brands, they shouldn't be trying to get the cheapest to be the cheapest out there, right? At the end of the day, there are a few places, and that's why people are scared of companies like Amazon. There are places that are associated by consumers as being the place you get the best deals. And if you're not one of those, you're really struggling. You're really going to struggle to kind of attract that traffic and attract those sales because consumers, they kind of think rationally, but even when they're hunting for bargains, they still sort of rely on the stuff they already know. And that's the thing we find most often when we look at people is people are really kind of consistent in their behavior. Like if they if they go to Amazon to get deals, they're still going to go to Amazon to get deals. Mm. And if you're a new brand or if you're a brand that sort of isn't considered a bargain brand, you're not going to be able to change that with a really good deal. One really good deal one day a year. Yeah. And so I think like that form of discounting is really overrated you're probably just giving away money to people who are going to buy it anyway, right? That's the that's the classic kind of analogy, right? Is it, you know, that I don't know if you've seen like the heard like the pizza voucher analogy. Tell us. There's like so, there's there's um there's a pizza shop and they're running some sort of promotion, and they've got two people to give out vouchers that are ten percent off the pizza, and they both get given the same number of vouchers and they go out, and one of them comes back in ten minutes. And the boss is like, oh, that's amazing. You gave away all the vouchers in 10 minutes. And he was like, yeah, it's great. I just gave them to everyone in the queue outside, right? So all he's got done, yeah. it feels like a really successful campaign, but what you've done is given 10% off to a load of people who are going to buy gonna it anyway. They were going to get it anyway. And I think, there is a, I think a lot of retailers are kind of doing that with their discounting. They're not attracting more traffic. They're just kind of giving away margin, really. And I think that kind of is associated with another kind of overrated tactic, and that's conservative, like people being... Co- being scared and therefore being conservative in what they do. They kind of fall back on the things they have done traditionally and they think have worked before and they're scared of trying new things during this period. And do you think um, in terms of like the consumer perspective that they are receptive to brands trying new things and, you know, kind of having new marketing tactics thrown at them in a way? Or do you think they you know, kind of prefer the ways that they're used to in the same way that brands are like, okay, let's just do what we know. I, I think consumers are like quite, quite bored of adverts, <laughs> like most of the time. And so something new really breaks their attention. Like 
during this month, right, there are Black Friday adverts all over the place. You will see many Black Friday adverts and most people probably won't remember the brand. They'll remember it was a Black Friday advert. And so like most of your adverts are probably just advertising the event itself and driving traffic towards that event. Mm. The brands that do this really well are the ones that use the kind of popularity of the event to their advantage to get and then get outsized share of that traffic, right? And I think the people who can do that is like brands that do kind of, you know, like Green Friday, sort of like some sort of sustainable donation or something like that. And I've seen uh, other companies that do uh, like wage donation on that day and things like that. Oh, okay. So like just just kind of new new ideas like spins on it that attract kind of play on the black friday idea so you're getting that sort of boost from the pr that's naturally happening but kind of true to your brand as well at the same time yes especially you know if everyone's doing i guess that's when it becomes quite important to really know what your competitors are doing because if everyone's doing one sort of ad or going down one kind of theme and if you do the exact same thing you might as well just be all promoting the same you know black friday like you said but so on the reverse of that, then talking about who's done, you know, doing quite well uh, at this time, what are some of the underrated tactics that you think people, you know, they work, but people aren't using them enough? So I think the mo- I mean, the most underrated Black Friday tactic or even for Christmas discounting, like peak season, golden quarter tactics are to think about it the rest of the year. Right. It's about building up that brand recognition and kind of brand support throughout the year now this is what amazon have done right they are the discount place and they're not known as the discount place because of what they do on in this month they're known as that because of what they do the rest of the year and so if you can establish yourself the rest of the year and, and get that kind of brand popularity and build communities around your brand so like groups of people places where your brand has like an outside representation that's where you'll get big benefits this month so what we find in we did a white, had a white paper out last year and there we found that in communities brands get on average about twice the number of sales than they do outside of communities so that's outside of their brand communities and then also about two and uh, i think it's like 2.2 times their revenue as well so not only do you get more sales in those communities those people are happy to spend more money with you during this period than kind of just randomly trying to fight for for sales against everyone else and when we talk about communities i mean this must is this driven a lot by social media as well or can you talk about what community could look like that's not just a community on social media so so we we think about when we talk about communities like we spend a lot of time thinking about communities (laughs) at at herdify right and and we really define them as you know they are communities going back to like the traditional definition of community right it's the people it's your work colleagues your friends your family it's the people you spend time interacting with and the people therefore you get your brand influences from now i think as i said like you know 60 percent of those that happens offline but yeah some of it happens online but what we find is that the online communities are often a snapshot of the offline communities like a tip of the iceberg type thing or... exactly yeah mm. like how think about it how many people that you connect with online do you not connect with offline as well right for most people that's vanishingly small that number of people right so really it's about like those genuine human relationships because there's lots of research to show that they're the ones that influence us right you know when you ask people about uh 
what sort of recommendations they'll be influenced by. It's, I think it's 92% of people will be influenced by friends, family, co-workers, and it's about 70% from online friends. So there's a much more powerful effect when you're tapping into those relationships that matter to people because those are there's lots of kind of background to this, like reasons for it. So for example, those people are more similar. Like you're more likely to be more similar. You're more likely to be at the same sort of life stage. Therefore, you're getting sort of, you know, advice you value. But also they're people you trust a lot more. And trust is really important when it comes to like taking on, in particular, like brand messages that have been filtered through the community. Like trust is really important. That's what we're looking for. You know, advertisers like to think that they build nice brands, but everyone, you know, Everyone nowadays understands what an advert is. Yeah, <laughs> what trying to do. <laughs> and I guess it's that kind of um, imitative thing as well, isn't it? When, you know, if you, like you said, if your friends and family are going for that thing, you just kind of like subconsciously is go that, that way. Exactly. Well. Like as humans, we're quite mentally quite lazy, right? So like a lot of the decisions we make, we just make by copying the people around us. Um, there's a really good book on this by Mark Earls and Alex Bentley called I'll Have What She's Having, which is all about how as humans, we just copy each other, right? Sort of 60 to 90% of our decisions are basically, we kind of look at someone around us and we just go, let's let's have that, right? And the reason for that is it's, it's a lot easier to do that. And also like, it's, it's the safest option, right? Um, if you think like in industry, you know, no, there's a saying that no one ever got sat for buying IBM. Right? Mm. <laughs> it's like it's like the lowest the lowest risk thing to do is the easy is the easy yeah. one to do because you you know you have that kind of body of evidence that it's going to work. Well, let's talk a little bit more about how to connect the offline and the online communities because this is a performance marketing podcast, and you know, offline communities are great, but unless we can measure it, so. Can you talk about some of the challenges and opportunities that can come about between the connecting of online and offline? So I think, as you say, like, you know, in the performance marketing world, right, <laughs> <laughs> then then that that connection is is really important. I think I think what is important to understand, though, is that the, the measurement and attribution are not necessarily the same thing right in this space. And. So the, the challenge is understanding how the ads that you're putting out there as a performance marketer are actually affecting offline communities as well, right? They're not just affecting online. They also affect on offline, right? People share the ads. People, as you say, it's like that subconscious influence, right? So someone might see an ad that you've posted and then mention that to their friend. And then that motivates their friend to go and purchase. So, you know, and that won't be attributed, right? That's not going to be attributed by any of the platforms. On the flip side, someone might see, might have a conversation with your friend about your brands. That means your brand's top of mind, which means when you, when they see your ad, A, they're more likely to notice it. It's going to cut through on the page, right? If they're looking at a page with five ads, it's the one that they've been talking to their friend about that day that their eye gets drawn to before they've even noticed it. And then also they're more likely to purchase because they've got like that trust or they've had a recommendation from their friend. And I think that does present a massive challenge. And this is a challenge that we, we help people deal with um, in terms of measuring, you know, the extent to which your online activity and your online ads can drive offline sales and also, you know, sales that aren't directly attributed. But on the flip side, there is a massive 
opportunity there, right? Because performance marketers, and I'm talking more in the digital space here, are driving more traffic and more sales than they probably think they are, right? <laughs> mm. and, 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 and as a performance marketer, right, you should be happy. So you can just add numbers to it saying, oh, exactly. then probably we can just round this up quite a lot. <laughs> exactly. So you can kind of calculate, like, so what we do is, like, when, when people join, join our platform, we run tests with them. So we can, me- and we measure what we call the halo. So this effect, these, these, these extra sales that are being driven by the digital marketing activity, and yeah, direct attribution of that's really hard. But on the other side, like it, it justifies a kind of higher performance marketing spend, right? Because your, your, your spend and your pound is actually going further than you think it is. Yeah. Okay. Well, can you talk us through one of an, an example of this? I know you mentioned Abel and Cole earlier, who hopefully yes. might win an award tonight. Who yeah, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. So yeah, so what we did with, with Abel and Cole to start with, so we started off like helping them with their door drop campaigns. So we, uh, at Herdify, we have a partnership with Whistle, who are already running Abel and Cole's uh, door drop campaigns. Um, and basically, they just wanted them to perform better for them. So we started off by doing some analysis, kind of produced some, some estimates of how, how that might go, showed that there would probably be a benefit. And then we run, run some experiments. And what we found were that there was an extra 120% increase in the response rate in places where we had detected these offline communities. So sort of just to delve ever so slightly d- deeper into our products to put that in a bit more context, like w- what our core product is, is, is we detect offline communities for brands. So that's a brand specific effectively location where there is one of these, these communities. And then we, by targeting ads at those places, people normally see increases in response rate. And in this case for Abel and Cole, uh, in door drops, we saw, yeah, 120%, so over over twice the response rate for their door drops in the areas with their strongest brand recognition and communities. And then now, and this is a, this is no, kind of a bit of a scoop for the podcast. Uh, <laughs> we have we have the first sort of we we've now rolled out out into digital as well for them. So look at their their digital targeting and, and aligning that also with their door drop. Performance, and we've seen very good kind of early stage. It's a bit bit too early for firm numbers, but we're seeing a significant uplift of sort of uh, between like 10 and 30%, depending on, on kind of the areas in particular, um, in their digital, so that's Google and Facebook, uh, marketing performance by targeting these communities and finding these communities. We have come to the final part of this podcast, which is the PMW Resell Me a Pen Challenge, where you are tasked to resell an outdated or updated uh, object. And this was chosen by our previous guest, Simon Hofmeister from TikTok, who tasked you with tiddlywinks. Yes. How yes. are you feeling about that challenge? Not very confident. Oh, but no. <laughs> with all the caveats I've just gone through. Oh dear. Well, yeah, because I mean, when we when we recorded Simon's, uh, which came out two weeks ago, he was very confident. He was very excited. <laughs> oh no, I'm I'm excited to do it. For, excited for a challenge. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, I mean, it I is felt a challenge. When he, when he gave you tiddlywinks, I was like, oh god, that's not going to be an easy one. But uh, we'll 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 see how it goes. Ed Barter, when you are ready, resell me tiddlywinks. Okay, so. Turns out there's actually a bit of a playbook for this already in history because 
even in the 50s, before Colour TV, Tiddlywinks wasn't selling out stadiums. However, they had a bit of a PR coup. So, an article was written with the title, Prince Philip, Does Prince Philip Cheat at Tiddlywinks? And from the back of this, as a series of events, they managed to get Prince Philip to nominate the goons, a radio, the radio comedy show, to play, to defend his honour in a game of Tiddlywinks. So, we're going to try and recreate that. What's the royal Tiddlywink match everyone wants to see? Harry versus William. <laughs> Settling it like they would when they might be five years old. Game of Tiddlywinks. Push it on TikTok. Lots of user-generated content. Trying to get nominated as the person who plays on behalf of Will or Harry. Lots of user-generated content. There's lots of weird rules in Tiddlywinks. So like explainers, things like that. And also... Oh, and that is time. <laughs> <laughs> and also... <laughs> Oh, that wow. was a good place to cut me off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be honest, it was, you know, you had a playbook, you had a good yes. starting point. But I mean, I have to say that's been resold because <laughs> it just for the fact that Harry and William. <laughs> it's the game everyone wants to see. Yeah. And the Royals could probably do the PR boost. So there might be an in there. <laughs> yeah, they could probably do a bit of that. But when you mentioned that, it also makes me think, you know, we've had this. Um, boxing match be kind of threatened at us from uh, Musk and Zuckerberg. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's that sort of kind of... Yeah, we should get them Using that <laughs> animosity, kind of forcing people... It's almost like forcing people onto a side. That's the way I think about it. Like Yes, polarising. Exactly. If you can do something polarising, force people to make a decision. And in, in, you know, default decisions are really powerful, kind of to go back to the behavioural science mm. a bit, right? A lot of time, and, and salespeople will be the people that talk most about this, right? If you can offer someone a default, they will take it. You like People don't like to be pushed down a particular way, but they really like being given, like being handheld almost in like, this is the default option. You've got loads of options. They like to think they've got lots of options, but they really want help choosing one. And I think these po this polarizing does that because you kind of get driven by your friends often into one of those camps and you, you feel like you've made your own decision, but you're really just kind of following everyone around you. I mean, that's a good, that's a good question, actually. How much do people actually make their own decisions? So most research sort of suggests that there's about kind of eight to maybe 10% of people who almost like adamantly make their own decisions, right? They, they, they're like, I, I will be Go out I will way, make my own, yeah. own decision and about the everyone else kind of more often than not follows I think when you dig into the research a bit closer it sort of suggests that that's that's actually not like a personality trait it's more to do with like the field you're in okay so like you might be someone who I don't know when they're choosing their clothing for example is really individualistic and you're like I, I will choose things I want but Actually, when you're, I don't know, let's use another example, like you're, look, you're at a restaurant and you're looking at food, you're happy to kind of like go with the crowd. Mm -hmm. So it's, a, it's actually about kind of the field. So whilst, it, yeah, whilst it is that sort of breakdown, it's not really like, it's not like a, you know, a personality trait where you are either a decision maker or a follower. It's more like when you're in a particular situation, you might do one, kind of one of those things based on like how much do you care about it, how much do you rate your own opinion like that's a, that's a big thing <laughs> right how much experience do you have and then also like what the other people around you you know the other people you can take cues from like how you are relative to them right and and 
that's actually where a lot of the kind of most interesting research and where I, I started my research, right, is is how how does the kind of the the relationship itself affect whether you're going to copy or not across that. So is it a strong or a weak relationship? And then more importantly, like what if there's you've got five friends there and you've got different relationships with all of them? How does that build up into the decisions you finally take? And that is where marketing comes in. Exactly. Let me help you influence. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, walking us through Herdify and online offline communities and the data and behavioural science behind all marketing, really. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. It's been brilliant. Well, thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of Performance Marketing Unlocked. If you would like to attend the Unlocked event, which is happening in March 2024, head to performancemarketingworld.com to find out more. And if you are a brand or work in retail, you are eligible to come for free. So head to our website to find out more and to keep on top of all the news, trends and analysis from the performance marketing industry, head to our website at performancemarketingworld.com. Thank you very much for listening and I look forward to you to join me next time. Thanks very much. Goodbye.